0: This is a crowd podcast.
1: I get hyper aggressive. (laughs) Probably sounds kind of funny. If I work too much and do too many things, even I start becoming a little too vicious to the people that we're after. And the one promise that I always made myself and my team, and we all abide by this code, is that if we start becoming the very animals we're hunting, we have mandatory downtime. I just came back off 30 days of downtime.
0: Casey has, of course, got another story for us in this episode. And we tussle over the American Constitution. But I've got some other things I'd like you to hear. Little clues which are helping me, and hopefully you too, as we try and make up our minds on just how truthful KC is being. A mini recap for you. For reasons that I won't and I can't get into, some months ago now, I was introduced to KC. He's the leader of the Brotherhood of Vigilance. They're a team of vigilantes.
1: We resolve problems for people. We uh, hunt down kidnapped children and We do asset recovery. We do a lot of things.
0: Since then, Casey has enraptured me with his extraordinary stories of rescue missions, surveillance, brutal violence, love, vivid pictures of places, people, views on the police and the justice system, religion, rough times in his childhood, and on and on he keeps going.
1: You know, your home's your castle, and I've told my own team, if we ever go into a wrong place, I'm done that day. I quit.
0: And while listening to him, no doubt like you too, i I've been thinking, surely not.
1: I could run a 40-yard dash in 4.7 seconds.
0: And how's that possible?
1: He's got an auxiliary fuel tank that'll allow me to go coast to coast without stopping to refuel.
0: And I thought you didn't do that.
1: So I'm matching these guys beer for beer.
0: Well, in this episode, I'm going to play you bits of stories that for reasons I'll explain later, I've left out. Because they're evidence of things I know about KC which I haven't shared with you yet. So why are you talking to me?
1: Why am I here? I'm here because I think that by telling our story finally, I think that there's going to be people out there that are going to realize that there's people like me and my team that will hunt you down and make you stand before God for what you did. I think it'll also start helping a lot of people and step up and realize if there's a hunter of you and only one of a really bad person and you step up, and you're going to stop a lot of problems.
0: I'm Sam Walker, and this is American Vigilante, episode 10, The Country Store. I want to talk to you about something really close to your heart.
1: Macaroni and cheese,
0: huh? <laughs> oh, that's another conversation. Um, you told me about something incredibly close to your heart, where you said to me, if you go away and read that, you'll understand why I do what I do. And you'll understand what makes me tick. And it was the American Constitution. So I went away and I read the American Constitution.
1: Did you really? I am so damn proud of you. Excuse my mouth. Don't I am sound so surprised. Proud of you. No, no, <laughs> you don't understand. That is, that is not a small document, Sam. I'm impressed.
0: Explain to me again what the Constitution means to you.
1: It means America. It means the U.S. It means freedom. The Constitution is the lifeblood of our country. Okay, let's take something that's just everybody will hate and love. Let's really dig into this. Let's talk about the Second Amendment.
0: Why did I know you were going for that one?
1: (laughs) Okay, let's just talk about that. And the reason that it's such a massive topic of discussion is because you've got all these people running around with guns. At least that's the way it's portrayed, but it's not true.
0: Let's just point out the word gun isn't mentioned in the Constitution. Let's just point that out.
1: Okay. So anyway, what's the Second Amendment about, Sam? Arms. Okay, arms. So we're talking about my right arm or my left arm?
0: Well, this is a really interesting conversation, isn't it? Because Oh,
1: here we go. Okay, so let's just pretend we're all intelligent and take the word a gun out of context because, you know, I'm not here to compare semantics with you, Sam, and you're not an idiot. You know what I'm talking about when I say guns. So the Second Amendment is about being able to arm yourself, not for hunting. It's so that the government cannot ever become so tyrannical That it can take possession of the people and use them as slaves that's the bottom line right there we are the largest army in the world period we as people outnumber our own military forces
0: but that's suggesting that we the people are one united that's right force that's right a lot of people would say that's not the case. That There's lots of division. At the moment, you've got half the country who believes the president isn't the real president right now.
1: Everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, the Constitution gives you the right to freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech is only free as long as you have the ability for it to be free. And the Second Amendment is what guarantees you the right to protect your ability to have those freedoms that's the reason it was put in there it doesn't say guns you're right but it talks about being able to be an armed public
0: one discussion I've seen is well hang on when this Constitution was written in the 1700s the weapons that are available today that can do incredible harm in the blink of an eye weren't available
1: what's that got to do with anything
0: one small group of people who had very similar backgrounds whether that be race whether that be socioeconomic yeah whatever created a document more than 200 years ago is it still fit for purpose for a world that has changed so much today is a question I've seen asked and I'm asking you because I'm interested to know what you say
1: yes it is it's just evolving time Sam when you look at the words in the document, it says you have the right to bear arms, to keep yourself free from a tyrannical government. Well, you sure as hell aren't going to do that with a slingshot when somebody's got a BMG.
0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What does it say about tyrannical government there?
1: Uh, you got to read the rest of the document, Sam.
0: Okay, all right, um, I wanna know your take, bearing in mind what you do on the Fifth and Sixth Amendment. Where's the public trial and the right to a jury and legal representation for the people you have engaged with? What do you say to that?
1: Well, you have to uh, put everything into context. When there's a a woman, a child, an elderly couple, even a man, and I can see that a person has wronged them, whether it's rape, sodomy, brutality, you know, whatever it may be, by violating somebody's rights, you forfeit your own, in my opinion.
0: Looking at America today, how does it measure up to the America of 20 years ago in terms of of the bad shit that's going down.
1: I would say there's a lot less honor. There's a lot less code. Uh, I would say that there's a lot of people that are not being educated with the same core family and traditional values that there used to be. You know, I grew up in well, nowadays they call it a gun culture, but I grew up, you know, using using guns as a kid. We hunted for food. My dad to give me so many bullets and a gun, and I had to go actually get food for the family.
0: That still goes on, does it?
1: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But what I'm trying to tell you is that that's just part of life, you know. And, and now you've got, in schools, kids being taught guns are bad. And it's like, no, they're not. They're, they're no worse than the person that has them. I mean, people say, well, without guns, there wouldn't be any killing. Holy shit. You ever go back to the ages when they use swords? You want to know about bloody and gore and messy? Huh. Bullshit. <laughs> Without guns, people are still going to kill each other.
0: They can't walk into a school and spray a sword is what some people would say.
1: Sam, I got news for you. You give me a knife. I could walk into school and kill more people than any of those people did with a gun. And I could do it way faster.
0: Okay, I don't want to think about that.
1: It's true. Don't think that just because people don't have guns, they can't be psychotic and kill people. There is always a way, is what I'm trying to say. People are brutal. They are just inhumane. And I'm not going to sit here and justify it, because I hate it worse than anybody. But why are politicians protected with guns? Why are banks protected with guns? And why are our children not? They give the school what's called one resource officer? Give me a fucking break, Sam. Those are our children. Those are our future. You wanna know what they need to do? I'll tell you exactly what they need to do. You got a bunch of old guys that got out of the military that the military spent hundreds of thousands of dollars turning into warriors. You go get some of those old guys and you let them start carrying guns around schools and you'll find out how quick nobody screws with our schools anymore. Because nobody will even get close to them. The kids are the most important resource we have on this planet. They are our future and they should be protected with the utmost sacrilege. But what do they do? Oh, you can't take a gun near school, it's bad. Oh, okay, so you'll protect the politician, and you'll protect the bank's money, but you won't protect the kids. My words to all those people. Fuck you.
0: Ugh. I don't know about you, but I find pretty much everything about what Casey has just said really uncomfortable. And that conversation went on for a long time. I challenged him a lot more and he pushed back a lot more. I mean, perhaps you completely agree with him. And that, of course, is your right. Because America. Let's put a break in here. And in just a moment, I'll play you those clips of KC I talked about. Plus, of course, another story. See you on the other side.
2: Hello there, I am Tom Fordyce and I'm one of the producers on American Vigilante. I do hope you're enjoying the series. Now, if you need a break from KC and you're feeling peckish, why not try Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. They're a great way to meet your wellness goals in time for the summer, if it ever arrives, with chef-crafted meals like calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Factor always makes fresh meals, never frozen. They're dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. And they taste really good. They've got loads of options from breakfast to dessert. There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week. Treat yourself to restaurant quality dishes with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp and blackened salmon. but. All without prep and the cleaning up. Head to FactorMeals.com/american50 and use code American50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code American50 at FactorMeals.com/american50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
4: Come play with us.
3: True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers,
0: I have got some big news to share with you, which I will do at the end of this episode. But first, fantasist. My dictionary says that a fantasist is a person who writes or composes fantasies. Definition of fantasies, imagination, especially extravagant, wondrous, unrestrained. But here's the thing I need to tell you. Casey's stories may sound like this on the podcast, but, you know, when I'm sitting there actually talking to him, they don't. Now, <laughs> I know he's listening, so I'm putting my neck on the line here, right? But I need to tell you that KC can be a bit boring. <laughs> Like when he's explaining the negotiation process for a bail bondsman contract.
1: But whenever it's in what's called a paid forfeiture, which that one was, I can get double the money. So the guy told me, he goes, I can't authorize that. I like, well, then you better call the owner.
0: He can be rambly, uncomposed even, like here, talking about his dogs.
1: The other two pit pit bulls, I I was afraid when, when his name was, well, it doesn't matter.
0: His stories contain so much detail that really doesn't matter, like this, from the Mexican
1: job. So Murphy was walking through and he comes back to me after about 30 minutes he goes, you're not going to believe this. He goes, I met somebody I know. And I'm like, really? he's like, yeah.
0: He often goes off on tangents which bear no significance to the actual story, like here in The Marine's Wife.
1: I heard some crunching sound, something big, heavy, and then it slowly moved off. I didn't know what the hell it was. Bears are hibernating at this time, and the only time bears are out when it's cold like that is when it's hungry.
0: (laughs) And these tangents mean our conversations go on for hours. You know the bit in a well-earned meal where they're staking out that gang member?
1: And out steps this guy. And he goes into this house.
0: He drives a Buick.
1: And at this time, he's getting in the car to leave. I tell you. So, the guy came back. That. Come back the next day. Went on. This guy comes walking out. Four. So that evening, that car came back. Ages. So, again, night comes. Guy comes out.
0: This guy, going back and forth from the house.
1: 3.30 in the afternoon, he comes walking out of the house.
0: For days and days. And he
1: gets in that car.
0: He detailed the whole thing.
1: Come to find out, he had left with him.
0: It was exhausting.
1: And I'm like, Jesus God, you know, he's just leaving again.
0: So here's my question. If you were going to make up a story, surely you'd just crack on with the spicy stuff. You'd leave all of this out. Save work for yourself, having to memorize it all, but he doesn't. He just talks and talks. I mean, a few pauses here and there, but no hesitation. This next one took him the best part of two hours to tell me. But cut down to size, it is some story. This one really upset me.
1: This story today was a a kidnapping. And the girl was kidnapped as a crime of opportunity. And uh, pretty rough for her family because her extended family actually had another girl kidnapped years before. So they'd already had me in their services prior to that. It's an old family. It's a family that's been around forever. They settled those lands years ago. This happened out in the Blue Mountains. And it was was an old couple, uh, the couple that owned this country store. They told me that they needed me. I remembered who they were because she's the matriarch of the family, even the extended family. Nothing happens in this area without these people either giving the okay or making sure that things get done right. So the day before she called me, The phone had rang and she was working at the store and her husband had went to town. Her daughter told her that she was sending a little girl down to the store, which would be her granddaughter. She had just turned, I do believe it was 12 years old, so this is the first time she's walking to the store by herself. It's a big deal. She says, okay, no problem, I'll watch for her. So she goes out onto the porch to watch. A black SUV pulls up. She said, it had them big wheels on it that keep spinning around in circles after the truck stops. She remembered that the license plate, she couldn't really remember the numbers, but she remembered there was a star in the middle of the plate. And uh, they'd come up and got out, and one guy was a big cowboy, real tall, lean, wearing a cowboy hat, plaid shirt. And the other guy was uh, looked to be, she said, a, a Mexican guy. She goes, he was really dark-complected. He didn't have no shirt on. He was just wearing a leather vest. Well, they, they were going inside the store, and... The Mexican guy had a something sticking out of his pocket on his vest. You know, the vest just like a little pocket. And she had told him, she says, uh, you got something falling out of your pocket there. And he just kind of ignored her and walked into the store. So because they were in the store, she had to go inside. So she went in there. So one of the guys goes back and he just gets some food and some drinks. And the other guy's grabbing some beer and some stuff. And uh, she gets out of the cash register and ringing them up a smaller Mexican guy. He walked around the side of the counter and he just kind of pushed her out of the way and they proceeded to empty the cash register. And he told his friend, he says, I told you it'd be this easy. He goes, ma'am, he goes, I need you to take me back to the safe and she can see a gun in his pants now. She starts walking to the back and when she went in the office, there's a safe and bent down to open it. But the guy walks in behind her and the first thing he sees is the safe door is already open. So he grabs her by her shoulder and he hit her so hard that it knocked her across the room her head smashed into the wall and it addled her so he's emptying the safe into a bag right there so he got the money and his buddy and they headed out and she managed to get up and get through the office door and she fell down out in the store and she got up again and was trying to walk across the store and she fell down again got up a third time and that little old lady made it clear out to the porch this time and she sees her granddaughter and her granddaughter's about halfway there well, that SUV stops right next to her granddaughter. And that big cowboy got out of that passenger side. And he put his arm around her and grabbed her and he picked her up and took her into that SUV. And they took off. And she passed out on the porch. Well, it was about, I said probably half an hour, 20 minutes. Somebody was waking her up, and it was her daughter and her daughter's oldest son. And she was laying on the porch, and there was blood under her head from her lip had been bleeding. And where she'd hit her head, as a big goose egg on her head, and her eye was swollen shut where he'd hit her. And already it was bruising. So Sheriff got there, and they got her up. And just then her husband come showing up. He drove an old pickup, and he pulled in and picked her up. And she says, we need to call Casey." so that's when I headed out and this was the next day and I was back there now it's called the country store because this country store is kind of where where everything in the world happens for these people I mean it's it's the old place you go in there's still a pickle barrel and you know the big bible and you walk in the door over to the right underneath a big glass thing on a big podium you know an oak podium I mean it's it's really cool and uh, there sat the the matriarch in her same old rocking chair and her her husband was there and he's a he's a big man, she's little. And I walked up and I'm like, Are you okay? And she goes, Casey, okay, she goes, I need your help. And I asked what happened and she started to tell me. I says, I'm so sorry. She goes, Well, the police been all over the place. She goes, they couldn't find nothing. So I went inside the store and I started searching. I started going up and down the aisles and looking for, I didn't know what, just hoping I could find anything. Finally, I went in, I'm searching the office. To the left is the desk, and almost right in front of you is the safe. And then to the right of that, there's the other door. But right to the immediate right, there was this big old leather upholstered chair with a brass studs on it, on the arms and the around it. I got down on my hands and knees, and this, this is a very big chair. And I, I'm looking underneath it, I reached back there and I see a matchbook. Pulled it out and it had a bar's name and an address on it and a phone number. We'll come to find out that came from a store down in Texas. I walked out on the porch and I, I said to her, I says, ma'am, does this look familiar? I said, is this yours or your husband's? And she held out her little tiny hand I put in there and she looked at it. Her lip was all split and a big old crack in it and her cheek was all black and blue and but her blue eyes were as clear as a bell and she smiled. She goes, That's what that trash had in his pocket right there. That little guy. When I told him and he came in the store that he was gonna lose something, that's what was hanging out his pocket. And I was like, God, I couldn't believe it. I told her, I said, You guys need to need to get hold of the sheriff and let him know that I found this. And she's like, That's some bitch. She goes, he ain't he ain't gonna do
2: nothing.
0: I'm really intrigued from someone from a totally different culture and society, about in certain parts of the United States, where there is this almost system of governance within communities, where you have this matriarch who is kind of the head of a community. They are.
1: In old America, you know, old U.S., elderly people are respected and honored. The new way is for people to throw their family members into a retirement home, pretty much forget about them. The elderly have so much knowledge, and, and they're so well-respected and honored by traditional America. It's unreal. She is the mother of the entire clan, and if you step on her, then you answer to him. I mean, I, I consider it a complete honor just to know those two people. They are the salt of the earth. I mean, you want to go back to your words, your bond? <laughs> those people wrote the book on it. So I headed for Texas, and I called an old client in Texas, and I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a place to sleep. I called him one of those favors. Pulled in there, and uh, when I got out of the wagon, he comes over. His name's Claude. And Claude held out his hand, and he goes, it's good to see you. I said, it's good to see you, sir. KC, he goes, I know that you, you pretty much work alone and, and just with the people that you have. He goes, but I want you to know, my family's all over Texas. He goes, if there's anything we can do, he goes, we want you to know that you can call on us. If you need a place to stay, if you need guns, if you need somebody to go with you, he goes, I want you to know that we're all here for you. It touched my heart. Texans are an incredible breed. I ended up going to bed. I told him, I said, I need to get some rest. I'm really tired. I wound up going to bed, and I headed out early the next morning. It's a border town that I had to go to. Not right on the border, it's a little bit north. You know, at that time of year, I'm pretty dark-complected, and I look scruffy enough that I blend in just about anywhere I want to go. I picked up some street tacos from a little cart with a burro, and uh, I ended up going inside and ordered a beer. And I was just sitting over there off the side, just taking it easy, and uh, waiting for I didn't know what. So I'm there for the whole first night. Nothing. Nothing. I spent the next day prowling the town. I went to surrounding towns, I asked questions, and, and I just kept getting dead end after dead end. This went on for probably about a week and a half. Ended up renting a to- hotel room just outside of that little town where the cantina was, because that was honestly the only true solid lead I had. I decided to expand my search and go across the border. So I went across the border into Mexico and I pretty much started doing the same thing. The only exception is, is that every night I came back to that cantina, hoping to see somebody or or the rig. Well, I was about nine days into this whole thing now. I'd been down below the porter for three days. I was having lunch, and I'm sitting on this like an oak stool out in front, and they got these little tiny tables, and I'm having some carnitas, and driving right by was a Range Rover with great big wheels on it. The windows are all tinted and I can't see nothing else. And I've only got a suspicion it's a Range Rover because she said it was funny looking, which means it wasn't like a Chevy Blazer or something like that. She would have recognized that. I got out and I tried to tail him, but traffic was so horrible there, I couldn't. By the time I got my vehicle turned around and, and got going, I mean, I lost him within two blocks. I, I I couldn't keep visual, it was impossible. The cool thing that I did get to see, though, I said it did have a Texas license plate on it. It wasn't a Mexican plate. I ended up not seeing it again that day. And when I went back to the U.S., I, I didn't see it that night either. And I didn't see it the day after. So we're about going into two weeks now.
0: You'd spent a good couple of weeks sitting in this border town, clutching a matchbook, hoping that you would get lucky and spot this vehicle. But do you get frustrated? Do you get angry?
1: Well, I don't get angry easily when I'm working because when you get angry, you, you make mistakes. And uh, my biggest fear is having to come back to a dad or a mom or a grandma and tell them I can't find their kid or I couldn't give them the peace that they wanted. That terrifies me more than anything. That's what keeps me going a lot of times when I'm I want to quit. I was at that cantina late, it was a Saturday night, and I decided that instead of going to bed, I was going to go down into Mexico, check out the nightlife down there, and there was a discotheque a little bit ways down the road, that's where I'd seen that SUV, and I was hoping, it was kind of an arterial, you know, a main thoroughfare, so I was hoping that I might get lucky enough to see it again. So when I got down there to discotheque, that SUV was parked in the parking lot. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, all I need is a cowboy and a, and a Mexican with a leather vest, <laughs> you know. So I, I still don't know if this is the right one. And now, again, I'm torn between going inside and sitting on this vehicle and hoping for a lead. I set up over on the, the outside wall of the of the discotheque. There's a plant there and a, a little bench and a couple old chairs, and I just sat there, and I waited. And it wasn't long. Probably 20, 30 minutes. Big, tall, white guy come walking up, not from the discotheque, but from out in the parking lot. And he opened the door, and he climbed in there, and he started it up. I was lucky enough that when he pulled out, he went toward the parking lot, toward the direction that the vehicle that I had was. So I just had to walk down there, and I could walk way faster than he could drive through that parking lot, believe me. It was so many people and so many vehicles. It was It was crazy. So I got down to my rig, and whenever he pulled out, I was right behind him. I ended up following him for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And I had different lights on on this vehicle. I could kind of change the front appearance. And every time he'd go around a corner, I would just change my lights. He wasn't in any hurry. He was going slow, he stopped at a a store, got some drinks, and then he uh, stopped at another place and he went inside, Um, he was picking something up and he got it in his vehicle and he left. And then uh, he ended up pulling up this old house, nice old house, um, stucco outside. He grabbed the bag that he'd picked up at the last house and he had the drinks and he started walking up the stairs. Went into this place and uh, I heard the door close, lights come on. I pulled out my spotting scope, my parabolic mic. I started trying to peep through the window and I got the mic trained on the place and I'm listening. I heard voices, probably three or four people, at least two women, and these weren't little girls. these were women. And I heard another voice. And that voice had a really thick. he was speaking in English, but he had a really thick Mexican accent. And uh, a guy walks right up the window, just looking outside at the city cause it's kind of up on a little bit of a hill. He's Mexican. He's not wearing a black vest. <laughs> Wish he was. He didn't have a shirt on, and that big tall cowboy came over and stood by him, and the size difference was pretty impressive. And then one of the girls came over and started tugging on the the big guy's arm, and and they went off in the other room. And after that, the things I started hearing, I just shut the mic off. I wasn't going to listen to that. At no time did I approach the house, not at all. If I go up to that place at all and and compromise myself, then he's going to be on to me. And if it's not the right guy, then I created a problem where I can't even be down there anymore. So I sat there all night. I started to doze. I was so tired. And the next morning, probably around nine, ten o'clock in the morning, both the guys came out of the house. Uh, one of the women came to the door and kissed a little Mexican guy, and they went down, they got in the SUV, and they headed out. So I tailed them, and they headed north and went across the border. They went right back to that town where I'd been with that cantina, and they went to a house. So we're now in Texas. And I watched for a long time. There was no movement, nothing. They were in there, oh, I don't know, hour, hour and a half maybe. Then they came out, locked the door to the house, got in their little SUV, and I followed them all over town. And they spent the day just going to different locations. They were picking up bags and sometimes dropping things off, and every place they'd stop, they were only at for between 15 minutes and a half an hour. Well, finally, it was toward the end of the day, and uh, they headed back, and they ended up pulling into that little cantina. And I was in there, um, I was having a beer. I wasn't really drinking the beer, I was just kind of pouring it in another glass with my mouth as I was drinking. One of these guys was sitting there at the table, about three tables down from me, the other guy wasn't there. The little Mexican guy wasn't there. And so uh, I started chatting with this guy. He initiated the conversation. He just kind of held up his beer mug at me like this and I held up mine at him. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. I said, just kind of tired, kind of hot, and kind of got a two-week dead end I'm working on, <laughs> which was kind of funny. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, we all have those days. I'm like, I kind of wish I had one of my buddies with me right now. I wish there was two of them. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm glad. I goes, I always got my buddy with me. I says, you know, I said I'm pretty fortunate. I said, me and my friends. I says, I got a buddy of mine, and we both like different drinks, and we both like different types of women. I said, we get along great. And he's like, yeah, he goes, me and my buddy are that way, too. He goes, I like them young and skinny. He goes, and he likes them to have great big tatas. And he said, we just got back off a trip. I'm like, oh, really? I said, where'd you go? You down to Mexico? He goes, oh, no. We were traveling around the U.S. seeing the sights. I was so happy right then. At that very moment, I was so happy. I had nothing other than they'd just been traveling around seeing the sights. But 90% sure this, this was the right guy's. I called claude and i told him i said look claude i said i'm tired as hell i said i need some rest i said i just need a pair of eyes he goes no problem I called up one of his cousins and he was there within an hour and i said look man i need some sleep these guys just came to this canteen i've been on these guys for a couple days i says all i want you to do is follow them wherever they go whatever they do i said don't get found out he goes oh i'm not gonna get found out he goes oh I'll, I'll be okay i said okay I said, anything happens, call me. I said, I need some rest. And I just went out in my rig and went to sleep. It was uh, next morning. Yeah, my phone rang, and I was still sleeping. And uh, Jimmy's like, hey. He goes, they're at this little house. And so I described the house that they'd been to the day before. And I'm like, the house here in town? He goes, yeah. I was like, OK. I says, go ahead and break off. I says, I'll, I'll be there in a few minutes. So I headed out. It took me about... minutes I got over there at the house and I set up and I waited I couldn't hear nothing I didn't see nothing finally they came outside they got in the Range Rover and they left again and I'm really dying to go into this house but I don't dare lose these guys so I choose to follow them and I really want to go into that house I just want to see what's in there because one thing that they didn't come to this house with all day when they're going to these different places and picking up bags Looks like they're making drop-offs and pickups. None of that stuff comes back to this house. This was separate. So I followed them again, they went down into Mexico. Spent the rest of the day driving around doing their stuff, doing their pickups and all that crap, okay? So that night, they went back north across the border again to the cantina. So I went out on a limb. And uh, when they got out of the Range Rover, the little Mexican guy came out, and he opened the driver's door. And I walked up behind him, and he kind of looked at me. And he goes, what you want, man? And I'm like, just looking for girls, man. And he says, "Uh, you hook me up, you know anybody? And he goes, man, there's girls all over the place. And just then, the big white guy came out. He goes, hey, man, how you doing? And I'm like, good, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, he goes, "Uh, this is our hangout. He's like, hey, you want to hang out with us? And I'm like, I'd like to. I says, but I'm... I'm really looking for some something tonight. He goes, dude, we got girls. I'm like, well, I says, yeah, I says, you got girls. I was like, but that's not what I'm into. He goes, oh, come on, come hang out with us. So I went inside, and I had a beer, and we're just sitting there. And uh, he's kind of probing me, you know, what you looking for? And I'm like, I pointed out a couple girls, and they were really young. I said, one of those suit me good. He goes, we could buy one of them some drinks. And I'm like, well, and just then a couple guys come up and started hanging out with those girls that they were obviously there with. I says, well, I said, I just, I just like them a little young, that's all. And the big guy kind of smiled and he looks over at his Mexican buddy and goes, yeah, he goes, we do too when we get the chance. So we sat there for the next couple hours and I had some shots of Monte Alban and some Hurradura and it was rough. Uh, I was sitting there having to match these guys for drinks and shoot the breeze. Well, at the end of the night, they invited me to come back to their place. This was the house. He goes, sometimes the things you're looking for are in the strangest places. And I go, well, guys, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really tired. I said, but I appreciate it. The cool thing was I knew how much they'd been drinking, and they'd been drinking a lot, so I knew they were going to sleep really well. So I let them go their own way, and I followed them again back to the house. I geared up, and I snuck around the back. The front of the house, you had to walk up about six steps. It was elevated to get into it. The back was level. With the house. Then, when you walked around the side of the house, it kind of went downhill a little bit. So, I approached from the other side of the house and went around the back, and all I was trying to do was listen. I was trying to hear something, anything. I heard uh, a. <clears throat> I heard crying, and I heard no, no, no. Gotta give me a minute. So I went around the front of the house and uh, I tried the front door and it was unlocked. The front door squeaked really loud when I opened it. I looked in the kitchen. Nobody was in there. The light was on in the kitchen. Went up the hallway. On the left, there was a bedroom. And the Mexican guy was sleeping. He was, arm was hanging off the bed. And uh he was passed out right there. The crying and screaming was coming from down the hallway farther. I already had my gun out. And I came down the hallway. And that, that big cowboy was, uh, on top of some girl. Well, I kinda screwed up the way I handled that when I walked in that room, because I lost control. I didn't even know if that was her, but I was so infuriated by what I saw, I I was completely enraged. I came up from behind, I kicked him in the balls, as hard as I've ever kicked anything in my life. I kicked him so hard that his whole body came off the ground and he landed over on the left side of the bed. The little girl I was looking for was right there. The guy was still screaming on the floor. He was holding his groin. I grabbed him by his hair. He didn't have real long hair, but he had it long enough to get hold of it. And I drug him over outside the hallway. And I pistol whipped the shit out of him. I did. I beat that man's face. I broke his nose. I broke his teeth. I stomped his groin. I beat him so severely that he was unconscious. The whole time that I'm beating him, I'm watching that other door. No movement, none. That guy was so drunk. I went back in the bedroom and the little girl was huddled into a ball. And I told the little girl that grandma had sent me and she wouldn't respond. She was screaming. I got hold of her grandma and I held the phone out to her. And her grandma started talking to her. And I asked him, I says, you want me to take her to the hospital? She says, no. She goes, I want her home. She goes, we got doctors here. The little girl kind of pulled herself together a little bit, but she was still really in shock. She was really having a hard time. Went over there, there was a dresser there. I Cleaned her as good as I could and I got a big shirt. I put her in the big shirt. And I told her I was going to take her home. So I called Claude. I told him I needed help. I said, look, buddy, I'm tired. I said, I just got in a fight. I said, I got this little girl back. I says, I'm too tired to drive. I says, I got to get this girl back home to her family. And he says, no problem. So he had his cousin, that same cousin, show up. But he also had the cousin's wife and the grandma show up. So now there was women with her. And, uh... One of them drove my my wagon, and then I slept in my wagon, and then the little girl. We took all the stuff out of the wagon out of the back, cause there's a bed and a setup and everything back there, and we put all in the back of the pickup, and we took two vehicles, <sighs> and these people drove all night. They got her back to the country store, and uh. The father who is the matriarch's son he come and he picked her up in arms and he he took her over to his wife and uh they headed home claude the first time he'd ever met these other people and they they realized that they had a lot in common the little girl that i'd just gotten back was the same age as claude's daughter that had been kidnapped We sat there on the porch for a little bit and uh, they invited me into the country store and uh, he took that big glass lid off that podium, it's got that Bible in it, and he opened that Bible up to the back. And he says, "Casey, I want you to sign this. And I kind of looked at him, because in this Bible is is everything. I mean, I can see the list of the, the marriages and the births and everything for this family their family goes back generations and they don't like outsiders and anybody that's not their family that's grown up there is an outsider but when I signed that Bible I was an outsider no more. I was part of the family pretty big deal really big deal to me I felt pretty damn honored signing that Bible and that's it Yeah, I relive it every time I tell you guys this stuff. It's it's rough. It's my own personal hell, but at the same time, I also get to relive the satisfaction. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And I can tell you that neither one of those men will ever hurt a child again, ever. I left them in that house. I mean, I I left them there, but I I guarantee you they weren't at that location very long. You know?
0: So really what you're saying is, you had more interaction with those two men before you left that house?
1: (laughs) Yes ma'am, I did.
0: Coming up in the next episode, I've thought a lot about how to describe to you what happens. And you know... All I can think to say is, holy shit. Do you remember the woman who Casey rescued as a small girl? She's agreed to talk to me. I remember the person that had done this. We're going to call her Dee. Dee. I remember seeing his face. I just, I, I hated him so much that I wanted to hurt him. It's quite the conversation and I cannot wait for you to hear it. And I just remember that feeling of like, we shouldn't do this. I know we shouldn't do this. I look back and I'm like, what other choice did we have? American Vigilante is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Sam Walker. It's produced by Phil Brown and Steve Jones. The executive producer for Crowd is Mike Carr. Associate producer for Stirway Entertainment is Jeff Singer. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you want another crowd podcast to listen to, try Murder in House 2. It's the story of how a group of Marines killed 24 innocent civilians in the Haditha massacre, and how the US government tried to cover it up. It's a 10 part series that took 15 years to make. It'll shock you, it'll make you think, and it will make you question everything you thought you knew about the Iraq War. Search for Murdering House 2 in your podcast app. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.
5: Come to order. This investigation is convened by Lieutenant General James T. Mattis, commanding officer. I want to tell you a story.
3: Can we call your first witness? Yes Close your eyes. Exposure goes off. Boom! We both yell clear. Clear. Clear.
5: It's a story about a crime that shocked the world.
3: U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold
5: blood. And a cover-up that reached into the highest levels of the United States military. Five, six, seven, possibly seven gunshots. It is also a story. I recorded in secret.
2: Evidence is collected. (laughs) Departing House 2 is at 1555 due to a tactical situation which demands our departure.
5: So join me, Michael Epstein, as I reveal the truth about the longest, most expensive criminal investigation in US military history, Murder in House 2, a 10-part podcast series available right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing. She'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity, but to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared.
1: I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth.
4: That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.
6: The truth about the Haditha
5: massacre has been covered up. But not anymore.
1: I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children.
5: What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all... ...is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. ...and me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network.
2: My name is Bill Huffman and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows
6: 3 a.m the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money Pop and meme culture also aren't off-topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.
5: From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia,